Hello and welcome to If Homeschool Walls Could Talk. I'm your host, Jenny Hahn. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to talk real quick about the idea behind this podcast. The whole point of it was that I wanted anyone who had an alternative style educational experience to have a platform to share their story. I feel strongly that story drives connection. And when we hear people's journeys, we have a greater capacity to love and to empathize with them. We stop seeing them as a collective part of a collective group, but as a unique individual, having a human experience, someone that we can relate to. And since homeschooling is near and dear to my heart, that's where I wanted to start. And it's gotten a bad rap in the past, or it's misunderstood. And I wanted to show that it's more than the stereotypes portray. Over the last few weeks, our family has been talking about institutionalized racism and injustice. And we've been asking ourselves, how can we do better? How can we do better to understand? How can we do better to examine our own biases? And how can we do better in hearing Black voices and people of color? If I want to hear and honor their stories, if that's something I'm striving for, one realized I one things I realized I could do is I could seek out black homeschoolers and families of color on social media, and then I could be listening to their stories and uh, trying to understand. So that's been my project this last week. Honestly, I should have done it sooner, and now we're trying to do better. The people who come on to this podcast and share are so brave and generous, and I'm so grateful to them. We need their stories. It enlarges our capacity to love. It drives out harmful biases. It challenges our worldview. These are all things that we need. So if you are someone that has a story that you would like to share, or you know of someone that I should be following on social media, please message me. I'm on Instagram at if homeschool walls could talk, or you can email me at homeschoolwalls at gmail.com. I'll put both of those in the show notes for this episode and in the podcast information. Anyway, I hope that didn't take too much away from my guest on this episode. Jennifer Davenport is a photographer. She's a mom to four kids, two of which are homeschooled, and two are in public school and preschool. She shared such a great story. I learned so much from her. It was a lot of fun, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Jen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit, just give us a picture of yourself. Tell us about yourself. All right. So yeah, so I've lived in the Pacific Northwest my whole life. My husband and I have been married for 14 years now, and we have four kiddos. So we live in Kalama, Washington, and our kids are 12, 10, 6, and 3. And my husband and I both work full-time. I have a portrait studio here right next to my home, and I'm a full-time portrait photographer. My husband is a full-time longshoreman. And we have two, our oldest two are girls, and they are going into seventh and fifth grade, and they are homeschooled. We've homeschooled our oldest for two years now, and our second, it's been her first year, we just finished in homeschool. And then I have it, my six-year-old is just finishing up kindergarten, and he's in the public school system. And my youngest is three and a half, and he just finished his first year in the developmental preschool um, and through the public school system here in Kalama. And yeah, we're a pretty active family. We attend church in Ridgefield, and my kids are in I mean, multiple sports, each of them. We're always on the go. We have a big family between his side and my side, and we're with them quite a bit, but a pretty active family. And yeah, we just enjoy living here and we enjoy 
the routine that we've kind of set out now that we've got into the homeschool a little bit. Cool. This is fun for me to hear from someone who's straddling a bunch of different worlds, right? Yeah, like you're straddling sure. the world of a working professional mm-hmm. and homeschooler yeah, and also having kids who are homeschooled and kids in public school system. Yeah. Do you feel like you're pulled in a lot of different directions or do you feel like you've found a good balance? That's, I think that's a seasonal thing. <laughs> I feel like some seasons we are doing really great and it's like a, a good routine and other seasons are harder. My, my work personally is cyclical. So although I do a lot of studio work and I work full-time year round, I work a lot more heavily in certain times. And so those seasons are a little harder when I've got three kids in sports, <laughs> those seasons are a little harder, but overall we have a, a decent enough balance that we all, we are, we all live in a pretty happy, healthy, you know, atmosphere. But yeah, there's times where I don't think we're ever going to achieve ultimate balance. We just are always searching for that. And, and sometimes we achieve it and sometimes we don't. Yeah. That's the dream, right? Yeah, Finding absolutely. all the balance. I think that's been one of the interesting things just with all the COVID shutdowns Oh yeah, is realizing how out of balance life can become yes. before everything's taken away. Oh my goodness. You know? yeah. And I realize, oh, I was running around every single day. Yes. Isn't like that crazy? Yeah. Yes. That that was a huge adjustment for I think a lot of people, us too. But yeah. So tell me, so you've been homeschooling your oldest for two years yeah. and your second just this is her first year. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So tell us that decision to homeschool and why, like how it all came to pass and sure. how like why some kids are in school and some are home. Yeah. So I never set out to be a homeschooling parent. (laughs) I have friends that have homeschooled on and off or homeschooled permanently. And I'm like, good for you. Could never do that. Um, I always said, I don't have the patience for that. But uh, when my oldest was in fourth grade, we were noticing some things with her. She's a smart girl, but there would be times where she, we would see her say, I got it. I got it. I got it. And for a public school teacher with 25 kids, it's easy to say, oh, she says she's got it, she's got it, and I move on. And that's kind of what we were seeing is that she wasn't thriving academically like we knew she could. And then we were also seeing a lot of, and this comes with that age, um, of the, oh, my friend said this, now I believe that. And my friends do this, I, I have to do that too. And we were just noticing that there was so many influences that we weren't really all that happy about. And you know, part of that was her personality at the time. And part of that is the society we live in now where kids have access to so much and there's just so much information being poured upon our children at all times. We just, we we looked at the situation and said, we need to really dial back, make sure her education is, is spot on, get her away. Some of the drama at that time, I know you've, you know, you have kiddos, the drama really intensifies in those years. And that was really draining her mentally and emotionally. And we just needed to pull back some of those influences so that the loudest influences in her life were that of the values that we think are important and kind of get her back to a a place of mental peace, really. And so when we approached that with her, she was all for it. She said, yeah, absolutely. Let's homeschool. And that's kind of where our journey started. So it sounds like that she... Like she embraced the homeschooling because she didn't even know how to solve the issue. Yeah. She, yeah, she was really tired. There was a lot of drama, a lot of, you know, difficulty with friendships, which is so common for that age. But the fir- that first year, she was all about it. She told her teachers at the end of the year, I'm homeschooling next year, totally fine. 
Now, as that year went on, that was our first year homeschooling and it was tough. I mean, I am not, I wasn't born and bred to be a homeschooling mom. Um, I'm probably the least, like if you met me outside of that and not knew, know that I was a homeschooling mom, you would never think I, I am because I don't think that's something that I'm naturally inclined to. So it was tough for both of us, but you know, she missed her friends a lot and she did want to go back this year actually for sixth grade. Um, but since now that we've gotten through it, she's completely fine with doing seventh grade at home. And, uh, we got, th- well, I think once you get through that first year, you do, you both learn a lot and you see where you're at. And it's a definitely an education for, for, it was an education for both of us. I'll say. Yeah. I would agree with that. Like having mm-hmm. been through that first year of pulling kids yes, out. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. A lot of things you have to kind of work out of your system and yeah. So then after that first year being kind of rough, now you're going to mm-hmm. pull out the second daughter. What was the thinking yes. there? So with her, her personality is totally different than my oldest. She we could not stand the kid drama. She's academically very advanced. And we were told by the school, and there's some turnover issues within the school. The school system that my kids were involved in was excellent, but it's never perfect, right? right. So um, she just wasn't getting that uh, challenge academically at all. And she had made in third grade one really great friend. She had an awesome teacher that my older daughter had had, and she sat her next to one girl that she just fell in love with. We fell in love with their family, and she just bonded to this one friendship. But her, the rest of the kids, she just could care less about, and that's just kind of her personality. And she wasn't getting that academic challenge at all. So I started – when she was in third grade, I started doing math with her at home and realizing how that was going. I said, I'm pulling her and I'm going to see how she does. And she has thrived academically and just emotionally. She has, you know, free from all that drama, but she still has, you know, a couple really great girlfriends and then her little soccer friends, that kind of stuff. But she's free from all of that added stuff that wasn't benefiting her at all. And do you feel like if you hadn't had like the, the sports and other things to be involved with, because I'm hearing how she's still connected with, you said a soccer was a soccer friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that if you hadn't had those extra outlets, how that would have gone like, and with your older daughter too, like missing her friends. Mm -hmm. So Adeline, my oldest daughter had a lot, she has a, a bigger close group of friends than my second daughter. So for her, she's lucky because she's got, you know, her phone, she can FaceTime her friends on or my phone, she can, you know, text them or whatever. So she's able to keep in touch and she plays soccer with them and she did track with them and she does softball, all those things. But we also have like a really big church family too. And we also were pretty, a pretty social family. So we have several families that have kids that were around all the time. And then they have cousins on both sides of the family and aunts and uncles and grandparents. So without school, they still have a huge group of people that they're around and they're socializing with and having learning people skills with. So I feel like for Eden, she had these couple girlfriends that she's still tight with. And, you know, our families have good relations. So she's able to, you know, continue on with those things and be fed in that need for relationship. And Adeline's pretty similar. Yeah. She still keeps in contact with those girlfriends. In fact, she has one of them over right now as we speak. She's there downstairs doing what they do. But yeah, she being close with her friends has been really important to her through all of this. 
So they definitely feel like they have like support and community and friends. And it sounds like that's, I mean, you sound like you're in a really great position to have so much family. You've got great, you know, church community, you've got, Mm -hmm. you know, all these friends and everything. That's awesome. Yeah, it's important, I think, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Did you have any backlash when you decided to homeschool? What was your family support? Like, what did it, how, how did your husband feel about it? My husband was all for it when we first started because he saw the influences that were coming out of my daughter. He was like, wait, who's talking right now? You look like my child, but you sound like someone else's child. Um, if you would have asked him three years ago, will you ever homeschool? It would have been a hard no from him or me. But when we saw that, he was on board with it. After the first year, it was a struggle. But we also saw a lot of benefits in my first daughter's, you know, what she was thinking, how she was reacting to things. We saw a lot of benefit there. So when our second came home, he, we saw a bond between them. I mean, I don't know about you, Jenny, but I fought with my sisters horribly as a child. Oh, yeah. We were always at each totally. other's throats. Yeah. And it, oddly enough, my daughters, they on occasion bicker, but it is very rare for them to fight. I mean, they are always like holed up in a room together, doing something, playing something, discovering something, creating something. I mean, like 90% of the time they're together. And so I saw that bond really, really kind of mesh too. When they started schooling together, they did a couple subjects together. And yeah, I felt like that was really great for our whole family. And then most of our family was, I mean, they were like, oh, okay, that's what you're doing. Some people in our community were like, what? I've had more people that have said to me, well, why? What made you decide that than I ever thought I would have? But overall, we've had a lot of support. And and again, like we have several friends who homeschool. They homeschool super differently from us, but they homeschool. So they understood kind of that mentality behind it. Yeah. That's funny talking about just sibling relationships. So that's something when I pulled my kids out, I was worried about that. I was like, yeah. are we all going to get along? Is this right. going to be okay? Or are you going to fight the whole time? Yeah. We're going to fight constantly. And I'm just now speaking 10 plus years down the road, they get along so well. They still yeah. argue, you sure. know, they still have disagreements and stuff, but they get along so well. And I have four teenage daughters who all wow. just get, they all share the same room. See, <laughs> like, that's beautiful that they're buddies. Like that's yeah. beautiful. And, and so rare. Do, they do drive each other crazy. I mean, they legit do that, you know, and they get frustrated, but they have so much more practice at resolving yeah, those sure. issues because they have mm-hmm. to, you live with this person, you yeah. see them all the time. Right. So yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's, I think that is a barrier for some people too, that they worry that the kids will kill each other or that yeah. they yeah. will lose their minds with their own children. Sure. And you have your moments, you're going to lose your mind. If you're around someone that much and you're schooling them and you're momming them, you're going to at times. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it's about finding that break. And like you say, resolution is important, learning how to yeah. do that. Yeah, that's what I call mommy timeouts. Yeah, I just absolutely. take a little, little time out and mm-hmm. go on a walk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about it. your two youngest. Are they both boys? Yes. Yeah. So our girls are, you know, just over two years apart. And then we have a four-year gap. And then we have Bowden, who's six and a half. He's in almost six and a half. He's in kindergarten, just finishing kindergarten. And then Belden is my youngest and he is three and a half and he has sensory processing disorder. So we have both of them involved in the public school system. And tell us about that, about the decision to do that. So 
my, my, you know, my girls started out in kindergarten in public school. And I feel like those grades, those lower grades, it's a lot more about, in my opinion, which is just my opinion, but um, it's a lot more about learning to get along with the group, take your turn, um, work with other kids acknowledge other people's presence. And I felt like that was best learned for my kids in that group setting. And let's be completely honest, me being lazy, that is so much more time intensive than dealing with a fourth or a sixth grader because you're with, you know, all the education, it has to have you there. So I didn't want to do it. I mean, I, that's just me being honest. So no, that's what I would, I would prefer you be honest, you know, because I didn't want to do it. I know a lot of homeschool families that kind of straddle both worlds and they feel like they have to apologize for it because they're not, they don't feel that. fully committed one way or another. And I'm like, you don't owe anybody an apology. You know, it's best for your family. So yeah, be honest. I I, yeah. Okay. So I didn't want to do it. <laughs> Just, it's hard. And I look at the teacher that my son has is who my second had and I adore her. And she is like, like angels walk among us. Yeah. That's kindergarten teachers because that is a job for angels because that's hard. But yeah, so he's involved there. And he also, from an early time on, I could tell his speech wasn't developing typically. And so I took him, took me a couple of tries, but I, he was diagnosed with a phonological processing disorder, which is just a speech disorder, but he's able to get speech therapy three times a week from an amazing speech therapist while he's at school. So there's also that added benefit for him being there. So we plan on keeping him in the public school system for a while at least. And we are the kind of family that we are a year to year family. What are we doing next year? I can't tell you because we're in this year. So we haven't committed to a lifelong you know, journey of homeschool. We've committed to one year at a time. And so that's just kind of how I play with my, with my, um, you know, what we're doing for schooling is this is this year's plan and I'll figure out next year when we come to it. And, um, that keeps the pressure off of me, I think, and off the kids too. So for him, he's going to go back to public school and, I do a lot of stuff with him at home too because of his his uh, speech disorder that does make reading a little bit more of a challenge. But yeah, we do stuff at home, but he is public schooled. And then Belden, my little guy, he uh, – I don't know how long we'll do public school or or not with him, but he's de- involved in the de- um, developmental preschool that they have here in Kalamah. And his teacher, again, is like – total angel, but they are able to meet his preschool educational needs, but also meet his sensory needs and help him with getting what he needs to be regulated so that he's able to receive an adequate, you know, intake of education and, you know, social interaction, which is difficult if his, his sensory needs are not met. So that's why he's involved in that program. I want to go back to where you were saying that you're a year to your family, because that really stuck out to me. Because I feel like what I see a lot in families is this like commitment that they feel like, okay, I am committed to being a homeschooler. I'm committed to being a public schooler, whatever it is. Right. And then when their needs of their family changes, it's devastating. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel shame because you're like, oh, I didn't do the homeschool thing good enough. Or, you know, I didn't do whichever one of these avenues for education was important to me. But it, life changes. Things change. People change. And the needs and how you meet those needs change. Yes, exactly. And I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what is my philosophy to education? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? What does it boil down to? Because yeah. I've read, like, I've read all the philosophy books on homeschooling. Yeah, I've read, sure. you know, we've tried a million different things. I'm like, but what is my philosophy? And for me, it's boiled down to every 
child deserves an individualized education plan, yeah. right? They call it IEP. Sure. Yep. But to me, every kid deserves that. They deserve yeah. exactly what they need. And that's yeah. going to look different. It's going to look different for every kid. And if I'm hung up yeah. on uh, an ideology or an agenda that is contrary to what their needs are, I'm just going to do harm. Right. And that's so true. That's such a great point. I didn't think about that before because my sons both have IEPs because of their disorders. My girls don't. But I was I have been prioritizing my mental, emotional, and spiritual health of my oldest daughter over all else because that to me has been the most important piece of her education. But that might change. It might come to a point where she is really solid and going back into the public school system is a fine choice for her. So you're right. Like individualizing their education is so important. I was thinking for like our family, I think I never thought I would be in the position as a mom as I found myself in having my youngest son. And so that has changed a lot of my perspective on parenting as well as homeschooling. But, you know, when you're a first-time parent, it's all new. You know, you're figuring out your second-time parent. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember I did it this way. The third-time parent, you know, you're like, okay, we've done this. This is old news. I know what I'm doing. You're on autopilot. And then when the fourth child comes along and rocks your world and changes everything you thought you knew about being a mom and raising kids and discipline and education and all of that, it makes you take a step back and reevaluate and and also give yourself grace and say, this is how we are now and we might not be here in a few years or six months or whatever, but right now we're here and this is what's best for right now. And I think that's how I've, what I've had to embrace in my business, in my momming, in my marriage and in friendships, like right now, here are my needs. Let's meet those needs so that we can thrive. That's awesome. So could you educate me and the listeners to more on sensory processing, processing disorder, what Absolutely. that means, what that looks like? Sure. So the definition of sensory processing disorder is a neurological disorder where sensory information for the individual is perceived that results in abnormal responses. Okay, so the best example I can make for that is so a person with normal sensory response, if you walk up to a hot stove and the burner is on and you put your hand on it, what are you going to do? Scream, take your hand off, right? Because that's a normal sensory response. You perceive the heat, you perceive the pain immediately, right? Because essentially your wires from your brain to your, 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 inta- your sensory intake instrument, which would be your hand in this situation, your wires mo- work appropriately. A child with sensory processing disorder might put their hand on the stove and let's say they haven't had a lot of what we consider input. Um, they might put their hand on the stove and like look around and be like, what's the problem? Because their wires from their brain to that receiving hand are crossed. Okay, so they might not pull their hand away or feel that pain immediately. And in the same sense, if myself or anyone else with like a typical sensory response walks into like a room of people and they turn and look at you, a normal person with a typical sensory response might feel a little bit of like, ooh, everyone's looking at me or wave and say hi or just kind of, you know, sit down at the back of the room because that's a typical sensory response, right? A child with sensory processing disorder or a person with sensory processing disorder might walk into that room, have everyone turn and look at them, and they might feel like their body is literally on fire and burning and feel the need to scream and run away or kick something or hurt something because their sensory response is so abnormal. Their wires are crossed and they don't have the, the normal response to 
to sight, to touch, to to sound, um, to all of those, or to taste, to all of those senses that you or I may have. And so that comes out in them having struggles with different things. So for my son, he's a sensory seeker. His body doesn't feel normal until he's received a ton of sensory input. And so, for example, sensory input could be um, like the touch of a hand on an arm, that's input. When you touch a soft blanket, that's input. When you hear a loud noise, that's input. When you taste something sour, this is input, right? So for him personally, he requires a ton of that input for his body to feel normal and for him to have normal responses to things. So he jumps on things, he climbs on things, he crashes off of things. He um, likes to go on the four-wheeler and feel the vibration of the four-wheeler and the wind in his face. He hits things, he punches things, he's very loud. Um, Those are all typical characteristics of him trying to find enough input to make his body feel normal so that he can have more normal responses to things throughout his day. So how did you realize that he was sensory seeking? Like so, what, how did yeah. you figure all this out? So I didn't. <laughs> when he, he was difficult from the first week he was born, he was by far my most difficult baby. Um, I, I've never, I have, you know, he's my fourth baby. I've dealt, my, my second was kind of fussy too, but man, I, I loved him, but I don't know if I loved him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he, I was, he would never sleep. He would not go to bed. He would not take naps. He would wake up um, so early. He, the sleep that child had was, it could, I don't know how he grew at all <laughs> with the lack of sleep. Just fussy and mean and angry and frustrated. And I was in my, you know, six-year-old at the time, well, sorry, six-year-old now, back when he was a couple years ago, when Belden was like 20-ish months old, I was at a speech therapy appointment and the speech therapist was asking about my youngest. And the therapy office had all different kinds of therapists there at that office. And they sometimes would share rooms and whatnot when they were working with their their, um, clientele. But um, she was asked about Belden and I said, oh, Oh my goodness. And I'm telling her about, okay, he just fell right off the bar, the bar stool yesterday, stood up, fell off right on his head, got up and kept moving. Didn't even react to the fact that he just hit his head very hard on the hardwood floor. And the occupational therapist that was sitting there, she just kind of leaned over and said, oh, does he do this kind of thing? Does he do that kind of thing? She asked me a couple of questions and I was like, yeah. And she said, well, bring him in. Let me meet him. So I bring him in. She plays with them for 20 minutes and says, please call your doctor and have her send in a request for a, an evaluation. So she recognized some of the things I was just putting off as my crazy toddler as being indicators for a sensory issue. So we brought him and had the evaluation. She said he has a very, very serious sensory processing disorder in three different areas. I'm like, I've never even heard of this. Like, what are you talking about? This is what? You're talking gibberish to me. And the more research I've done, it's just a very um, unknown, I guess, or poorly known disorder. It's like how autism was 15 years ago. You know, you heard maybe heard the name, but you didn't know what it was. And that's kind of where this is at is it's somewhat poorly known and it's there. A lot of kids have it, but it's often misdiagnosed. So I didn't know it. I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. I just thought he was, sorry to say, a terrible child. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would just wonder like how many parents are out there going, Oh, yeah, my kid's terrible. You know? yeah. They drive have, me crazy in all these absolutely. ways. Absolutely. 
I have I hear people say that a lot, and 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 I've had so many people because I talk about it a lot. I've had so many people say, "Well, do you think my son has that?" And uh, you know, there are definitely kids out there that probably have sensory processing disorder undiagnosed. But there's also kids out there that probably just have a little. They're probably more of a sensory seeker. They need a little more input in their lives, not necessarily having the point to it being a disorder. Um, and I always tell people, if you think your child has something going on, the best thing you can do is just ask ask for a referral to get an evaluation. The worst thing that could happen is your 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 per, the person who gives you an evaluation could say your kid's fine. He's just a little bit of a rough and tumble one, or he just needs to climb a bunch of trees or whatever. The, the you know that's the worst thing that could happen that there's nothing treatable. You know, but if there is something treatable and you're able to treat it, especially from an early age, you're just giving your kids such a leg up to dealing with doing better in life. This is really interesting. I have um, I have a nephew mm-hmm. who has different sensory things yeah. going on, and I don't. And I'm going to say all the wrong things because I can't remember. No, it, but I remember that the occupational therapy that he's done, that the, the uh-huh. therapist talked about how you have you have buckets for oh, each of your yes. senses. Yes. Yeah. Is that is that something that all therapists are telling people? So <laughs> I don't know. I remember sitting in a preschool meeting for my son with his speech disorder, and there was a mom with a kid with I don't know what the kid had going on. But they were talking about sensory things, and I explained that well, we use the word cups, but everyone has their sensory cup. And so, is your nephew a seeker, or is he one that has like a very small tolerance? It varies. I know that he seeks. Um, like being dizzy, spinning. Yeah. Yep. That's a, that's a yeah. typical one to try to regulate. Absolutely. Interesting. This is so fascinating. Okay. Then I have more questions for you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some kids who I kind of just, I'm like, I know this is a sensory thing, but I don't know mm-hmm. what to do about it. And it's not, yeah. it's not impeding them from leading a normal life. It's just, sure. we're kind of like, you're very sensitive about this. And yeah hearing you talk about sensory seeking, is there sensory avoiding? Is there the yes. opposite? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So I think I have some sensory avoiders. Absolutely. Who, especially noise, like mm-hmm. sound. And my husband's very much like this. Yeah. That he, if if there's too much noise, I mean, he just can't even handle yeah. it. It almost yeah. can be like enraging almost. Yeah. Absolutely. And my my four-year-old is like at this new friend's house and he's so excited to be there and she starts running around squealing and he like reaches up and covers his ears and looks yeah. at me like, I can't oh, take it. I want to yeah. play, but I don't know if I can handle this. Okay. So that means his cup is over full. So the cup yeah. analogy is that we all have these cups for sensory. So like sight, taste, touch, all those things. And the typical person would have pretty similar size cups in most things. Some might be bigger, some might be smaller. So most people, whether your cup is like kind of low, like kind of un, kind of unfull, I guess that's not the right word, but, or really full can handle life. Right. But then there's some people who their cup is small. And if they have too much input, like really, really loud sound, like for what you're saying, your husband, his cup fills up super fast and bubbles over. And that's what causes him to feel more or less dysregulated. So he feels like I can't handle it. I'm going to scream. I'm going to freak out that feeling of overwhelm. So his, 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 auditory cup might be smaller than the average. Yeah. And we've used that analogy now like a million times since my sister-in-law taught it to us. Yeah. We're it's like, so good, though. It's a good one. oh yeah. Cause then I have, I do have sensory seeking kids. I kind of yeah. have the whole spectrum. I've sure. got kids who like 
certain fabrics they can't bear to have yep, touch absolutely mm-hmm. you know and then i've got these kids who are like they just yell and scream and run around and yeah. play really loud music and mm-hmm. so i feel like i've got these kind of two opposite ends sure. who are trying not to like drive each other bonkers in the process right. you know and that's it's tough just- to manage with that many like opposite end spectrum kids in one house i'm sure yeah it's it's been interesting we'll just say that yeah so how do you know I mean like you were saying that um I mean the worst thing you do is you get a referral and they say your kids are fine yeah so just based on your experience and talking to people at what point would you say no you really do need help because I feel like I feel like we have good at my house we've got good vocabulary for it now Mm -hmm. we're considerate of each other we're like charting a path forward I don't feel like anybody's life is like they're not able to lead a normal life, right? So right. is that kind of the marker? You're not leading a normal life. You're not having an option. Yeah, I would say if it's impeding the mental health of a, of a parent, um, if it's impeding the child being successful, absolutely. Because, you know, me as a parent, when I was parenting Belden prior to knowing his disorder, I felt helpless. I felt like a terrible parent. I felt frustrated and overwhelmed all the time. I was mad because I was so overwhelmed by this child that I couldn't figure out. I couldn't get to obey. I couldn't get to, I couldn't discipline him how I disciplined my other children. He didn't respond to it the way I was used to them responding. So I wasn't being successful as a parent. He wasn't getting the love, the attention that he needed clearly because he was always mad and frustrated. So if it's impeding the well-being, the, like you say, like the moving forward um, of someone in, in the family, I mean, it could have been a thing where if he didn't have sensory processing disorder, it could have been that I just needed parenting classes, right? So if there's some sort of like dissension in the home for one or more people, then yeah, finding some help and resources is is totally important. I love how you say, first of all, the mental health, the well-being of the parent. Mm-hmm. You know, you like- You set the tone. yeah. Like, cause of course I'm thinking about like the kid's unhappy, the child's unhappy. They're not going to do well in any kind of group setting, you know, that kind of thing. But really you're the, you're the mom and you're like at your wits end. That's significant. You need help. Absolutely. And it's not just for that child. Like my daughters were seeing me feel helpless and seeing me mad and frustrated. They don't deserve that. I'm not being the best mom for them because I'm trying to figure this little one out. So it bleeds. And like, you know how you were saying like your kids get along really well and they have these good resolution um, tactics because of them homeschooling and being together a lot? Yes, but they also learn that from you. So if you are yelling and screaming and freaking out at your kids all the time, they're going to learn that and that's how they're going to communicate. But when you live in a harmonious home, they learn that harmony from you. So for me, dealing with my child, I needed to get it in line so I can be a good example and be model that type of, of, you know, being a human to my other children as well, because mental health is everything, especially when you're a parent and modeling that for your young people. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I love that, that the way you stated it, you're setting the tone, Yeah, you know, and they look to you for an example there. There's, um, a homeschool, like guru for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. But have you ever heard of Julie Bogart and Brave Rider? I was I just knew you were gonna say Brave Rider. <laughs> <I'm the book. laughs> She's amazing. And I yes. I um when a newsletter recently she talked about rage and mm-hmm. she talked about moms dealing with rage and the impact that can have on a family. And oh, yeah. 
you know, and just, I don't ever feel like I've, I've raged at my kids, but something else that you said, you said, maybe it's just a matter of taking a parenting class. Yeah. That it isn't a kid who's got a sensory issue. Right. It's more like a mom who needs some help. Sure. You know, and you need a parenting class. Maybe you need therapy. Maybe you need, you know, there's something different that needs to happen. And I think that, yeah, that's significant. I think by my son's therapy, because he's been in occupational therapy since this all started. So let's see, almost two years. And, you know, he does a lot of it in preschool, which he hasn't been able to go to now since March, but um, it's therapy for them and discovering what they need. But it's also like, I insisted on being present at every therapy session. Like they could, they would allow parents to wait in the, in the lobby. I would not, I would sit in with every single thing because I want to see what they're doing so I can implement that at home because, you know, going to therapy is great. But if you don't, if you're just doing it 30 minutes once a week, how much impact will that have? If you're doing it 30 minutes once a day, because I take it home and do it, that also, it, it helps my child, but it empowers me to say, it's not me being a bad mom. It's me n- needing to know how to mom him. And that mentally, that shift of like, give me something to do to make it better was everything for me. And what you're what you're describing too is you've taken all the shame out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's you know, no one's before, fault. Yeah. It's not because you're a bad mom or he's a mm-hmm. bad kid. And that's no. that's the essence of shame, right? There's something yes. fundamentally wrong with you as a person yes. or mm-hmm. him as, you know, as a person. Instead yeah. it's like he he has this thing he has yeah. to deal with. And now right. I'm empowered to help him. Yes. And I think it changed everything for me looking at because I, you know, I've been a mom now for 12 years, but I used to look like one time, this is years ago, standing in line at Disneyland to get in. And there's in the line next to us, there's this family and this kid that looks too big to be in a stroller in the stroller with this whine. He's not crying. He's not talking. He's just whining. He's like, and I'm like, what the heck are they doing bringing this kid to Disneyland? This kid needed to spank him. That's what my first initial (laughs) thought is, right? Yeah. That's from my worldview of my three typical children, right? And after I started going through all this stuff with my little guy and some of the outbursts he's had in public, I used to, you know, if you see a kid running through Target screaming, you're like, oh gosh, get your kid in line. You know, that was what my my dialogue was in, in my head. Now it's completely changed my point of view. I think back to that kid in Disneyland. I think, man, what if he was so crazy overwhelmed at the hundreds of people and standing in line around him? What if he was just super overwhelmed by it because he couldn't handle that? Maybe that's why he was, we were hearing that whining at him and that kid throwing the the fit at target. Maybe they are, you know, a little brat that wants a toy, maybe. But what if they're a kid who the bright lights feel like they're being burned because it's a sensory overload and the mom doesn't know that? What if all the sounds in that store are making that kid feel like their skin is going to itch off their body and the parent doesn't know that? I think about those things now because my son can't handle being in stores for, I don't know if it's, if what's, what, what, uh, cause he can't, you know, tell me those things yet. But I know it's not a safe place for him with his regulation because I've delved into this, you know, this whole world of like what makes him tick. But there's so many kids out there that parents don't know that. And I, we perceive them as a general like population as bad kids. And what if it's just them really struggling? What empathy now you have? It's a very different way of looking at, at, at kids. Yeah. I have, like I mentioned, I've got some kids who are really anxious Mm-hmm. who really struggle with anxiety and oh, social anxiety. So and like, it's just been a really 
interesting path, but just, yeah, now how much more empathy we have. And Mm -hmm. I had, of all the random things, we had an arborist at our house. We have acreage Mm -hmm. and we have a dead cedar tree. And I won't make this story too long, but we had all these arborists coming to give us quotes on how to take down this giant hundred foot Mm -hmm. tree, you know, and not fall on our house or anything. So we had this arborist come and he was just super chatty, you know, just one of those really just you, he's never met a stranger type. Uh-huh. Sure. And he just starts kind of telling me about his life and his grandson and how hard this is that he can't be in school and he can't be around his friends. But then he said, but he just really struggles to make friends and I don't know what his problem is. And he just was going on and on everything he's describing. I was like, this kid's socially anxious. Oh, I know exactly what he's describing. Yeah. And then trying to talk to this man who has no vocabulary for this. Yeah. You know, to be like, okay, well, I don't know if you're looking for help or not. In this, right. You know, or you want any feedback, but he was very much like an open book. And I said, you know, for some kids, it is scary to be in yeah. those situations. And like, I just had this whole different set of, of a worldview and a vocabulary yeah. and understanding having dealt with that, you know, and to be able to see a kid who's hiding behind a phone. It's not, well, that kid's a brat, you know, that they don't have social skills. It's like, maybe they're terrified being in this yeah. room with strangers and feel like they're going to say something stupid or they can't even open their mouths or, right. yeah, it, it's, go ahead. It's, it's such a, it's so interesting how you say like, it opens up like your vocabulary. That's such a great way to put it because I feel like you don't know until you know, you don't know that you didn't, you don't understand it until you realize you don't understand it. And I think that's like what we're like our society is going through right now with all of the, the, you know, the rioting and the black lives matter and all that stuff. Like you think you understand until you realize you don't. Yeah. And And acknowledging that. Yeah. And you, the only thing that comes from all that acknowledgement of the lack of understanding and trying to do better is more understanding and more education and more inclusion. Exactly. Like acknowledging, I don't know. I didn't know this. And you can't fix it until you see the problem there. Yeah. You have to acknowledge the problem. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. That's good stuff. This is, this is really cool. (laughs) It's just making me think really, you know, because I'm relating to all these experiences that we've had and, you know, and yeah, that's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I'm kind of staring off into space. No, "Mm -hmm." I love it. I love conversations like this because- they're very real, but they're beneficial too, I think. And people ask me all the time, like, why do you talk about your, even my, my husband said this to me a while back, like, why do you keep hashtagging sensory processing disorder? When I, on Instagram, when my son does something that is very indicative of his disorder, I will hashtag that. And then I have it in like a highlight. And I say, because it matters, because there's a mom out there who just found out their kid has this disorder and she feels alone and she feels scared and she feels maybe shamed or embarrassed. And the more we talk about it, the more we broaden our understanding of people that have challenges or differences, the more we can help. Exactly. And I see, I think how that feeling of shame, it makes us want to hide. Yeah. You know, and when, when people feel that shame, they're just, they want to bury it. And then it just becomes a shame party, you know, it just festers and gets worse. Yeah. And yep. and bringing things out into the light is how you get rid of the shame. Yeah. Like and how you, how, yeah. And that's the thing too. I think that we have so many behavioral issues in our, you know, school system and in our world today, you know, they're brought on by lots of things and we don't have to go into all of that, but learning how to 
help and to fix is is what's important. And and knowing that it's you know not just bad kids or you know sometimes it is you know sometimes it's bad parenting, but sometimes it's things that are fixable and we'll, we won't know until we understand what is out there. You know why is that kid hiding behind the screen or why is this kid you know running in a, spinning in a circle? How can we fix it if we don't know to look for it? Yeah. And just the the other thing I thought of was labels, right? Mm-hmm. When we automatically yeah. label something and yeah. we say, well, that that's just a bad kid or yeah. that person's obviously a bad parent, you know, yep. then mm-hmm. we've, we've like made a judgment call right there, yep. put a stamp yep. on them and then they're completely minimized. Yeah. We don't see them it's as, you know, a fellow human who's struggling and right. needs our support and our help. Yeah. And I think maybe that was my husband's concern too when I would, you know, hashtag sensory processing disorder with my son. Um, But I said, you know, this is our journey and this is his journey. And I want, you know, when he grows up and he's a successful adult, I want him to look back and see even at toddler age how much work he put in to get to where he's at. Because he's putting the work in, you know, we're doing it with him, but he's putting it in because he's going to be successful someday. And I think too, I think about like the idea of a growth mindset mm-hmm. that then when he still does have struggles, because he'll be a successful adult who also yeah. has normal adult struggles. You sure. Know? Yeah. He'll be able to look back and go, okay, but I, but I am able to overcome struggle. Absolutely. And I know that I can, that for one thing, my parents are on my side, they're rooting yeah. for me and will help me. Mm-hmm. But I've I've been through hard things, like the confidence that comes from that. Sure. Yeah, that's good. Was well, there anything else you wanted to share? Like this, I feel like I learned so much, but what else <laughs> no, do you want to teach fun. me? <laughs> I think no, I think the only thing when we're talking about, you know, homeschool and how it's, you know, morphed over the years, the only thing that I, we haven't talked about that I would like to say is that homeschooling isn't what it used to be and it can be whatever you need it to be. And for our family, you know, it is it, it looks different than it looks for a lot of other people. And so because of all the covid stuff and everything that's happened, like I'm sure you've gotten a lot of converse, you know, conversations started and questions asked from non-homeschooling people who are considering dabbling in that for next year. And I want other people to know that every parent if you want to be successful at homeschool, you can be successful at homeschool. It does not take an extraordinarily patient personality. It does not take, you know, this amazing teacher-esque sort of persona. It just takes a parent who loves their child and is willing to work on it with them. And you can totally do homeschool and be successful with it. And your kids will be awesome, successful people. I love that. I love how you're, I mean, you're basically saying every person is equipped to do this. Yes. Like, because it can look any way you want it to look. Yes. There's a curriculum out there for everybody. Yeah. There's a method of doing yep. it that will work mm-hmm. for your family. Yes. I I think that's really cool because that is something people do. Uh, yeah. I'm just not cut out for this kind mm-hmm. of, kind of thing. And I try to teach people too, when I talk to them that you are the one who knows your child the best out of any a person on the planet, you mm-hmm. know that child. And if you still feel like I, I, but do I, do I know that child? You are capable of knowing that child the best. Yes. But yeah, if, if it is something you want to make happen, yes. it can happen. So I, and totally there's resources agree. out there for it, for sure. And there's support. And mm-hmm. if you're, 
if you are not finding the right like community, because here's the other thing is like, if you have community and help and support, but they say it can only look this way. Mm-hmm. That's the thing you have to be weird, like leery yeah. of, right? Yeah. Like, right. That's the thing. I want people to know that homeschool looks a hundred different ways depending on what kid and what family you're in. So if you're seeing someone do homeschool and you think I could never do that, look at the other options out there because there are like, you know, we, we do homeschool very differently than all the other people who I knew did homeschool when I saw, Hey, show me what you're doing. Cause I might, you know, try to do that. I do it very differently than all those people. Um, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. There's no perfect way to mm-hmm. do it. Yep. I I have a friend, we always joke, we're like the shiny Pinterest homeschooling. Like we just, oh, yeah. no. we Mm-mm. cannot do the shiny Pinterest nope. homeschooling. Mm-mm. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. There's um, one of my good friends. She's an amazing homeschool mom and she's got four kids and her kids are br- so, so stinking smart. Like 4.0 in college after being homeschooled. But she does all the work. I mean, looking at what she does, I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> I you know I cannot do this, and that's okay. Like what she does, she's super successful with, and I admire it. And I kind of wish I could be that mom, but I'm not. And my kids are still successful, and they're still doing well. And what we're doing works for our family, and that can be anyone's story. Yeah, and embracing that—that's where you're going to be happy. Yeah, absolutely. If you're mm-hmm. constantly like, <laughs> I, it doesn't look like the other right. person's, then you're mm-hmm. just making yourself unhappy. Yep. But anyone can homeschool if you want to. Thanks again to Jennifer for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate appreciate her time that she spent and the stories and information she shared. I learned a lot. That's a big plus for me. I love to be able to learn from my guests who are on. This was another episode of If Homeschool Walls Could Talk. I'm the host, Jenny Hahn. Thank you for your kind words, people who've reached out. The reviews on Apple Podcasts are super helpful. And thanks for sharing it with people that you know. I hope you have a wonderful week.